worship tonight? Wow, the house is full. Mom, how you doing? Brad is supposed to be here. He bailed on me. We'll have a talk when I get back. But anyway, he told me yesterday, he called me yesterday and said he wasn't coming. Anyway, it's just great to be back here. We felt like, you know, you guys became family when I was here. What was it, June that I was here, maybe? So I'm here. <laughs> well, that's saying a lot right now. So I don't know if anybody knows about it, but I had a little heart issues. And so, uh, but I'm here. Two days ago, I was laying on a, in a, on a gurney, put to sleep, and they shocked my heart back into rhythm. So on the, on the day, on Rosh Hashanah, my heart was put back in rhythm. That's got to be a message, right? That's got to be a message in there, you know. I didn't say I had rhythm. My, I have a black friend by the name of Aaron Evans, and he's one of my buds, and, and we, have, we have this ongoing joke, you know, and I used to be a lot more dark than I am. I haven't been in the sun in weeks, but sometimes I get really dark, and he would say, you know, you might be one of the bloods, one of the boys, and I say, well, you know, if I had a little rhythm, maybe, you know. <laughs> when I went to Argentina this March, and, uh, and, and I have, here's my claim to fame, I, I was really dark then, had been out in the sun quite a bit doing a lot of prayer walks. You know, God, uh, Enoch walked with God until he was not. And so uh, I've been kind of employing that, that idea and walking on the beach, got really dark, and went to Argentina. And when I checked out of the hotel, you know, we, when you check into a hotel, they, they take your passport, you know, and they, your, your passport, your passport number, your date of birth. And I checked out, and my, my, rec- my receipt said, you know, Paul Keith Davis, date of birth, nationality, USA, race, Negro. <laughs> All right. <laughs> So I said, I couldn't wait to call Aaron. I called Aaron. I said, he said, I've been telling you, one of us, all along. I said, Aaron, Aaron Evans used to be a part of the Nation of Islam. And uh, he and I became buddies, and I prophesied some things to him that happened like right away. There are certain people in my life that I prophesy when the Lord gives me a word, it happens within a week. Just certain people. Chuck Pierce is one of them. And so I'd given him a word, and, and literally within the week it happened, and so we really connected and had a, had a relationship, and he told me, you know, a little of his story, and he said, you know, I used to hate people like you. That's what he told me. And he said, I had gotten uh, in, in trouble for the nation of Islam. He said, I was in prison in the city of New York for crimes that I had done on behalf of the nation of Islam. And uh, he said, I was in a jail cell, and he said, all of a sudden, while I'm standing there in the jail cell, the roof of the cell disappeared. And he said, this big ball of fire came down into the cell with me. <laughs> and the ball of fire materialized into the Lord Jesus Christ in a jail cell in New York, and the, and the Lord turned to him and he said, I'm not a black man and I'm not a white man. I'm the right man. <laughs> and the time has come for you to get right with me. And you, I believe you did, wouldn't you think? In a jail, where are you going to go? <laughs> where are you going to go in a jail cell? So he got radically saved and is now a minister of the gospel, and we're hoping one day maybe he'll be a part of what we're doing in Alabama and all that. But it's just good to be back here. I've brought my daughter, Natalie, with me. So stand up, sweetheart, and let everybody see my daughter, my pretty daughter. She handles our, our, our resources for our ministry and uh, very prophetic and just has had wonderful encounters with the Lord. Jason Hooper is here with us. Most of you know Jason. Give him away. And uh, Chris and Hope Saul. There we go. Go ahead. go ahead and turn around. Come around. How many, how many of you saw new Jason at Morningstar? When I saw Jason at Morningstar, he was 360. Yeah. Now he's mini, Co- mini Hooper. That's right, yeah. <laughs> he's done great. He's just losing weight and working out and doing good. 
and uh, Hope and Chris Salter from, from Alabama here with us. Welcome to part of our team. So anyway, just great to be here on multiple levels. Uh, you know, I, I feel like this, uh, this fall is important. I feel like uh, some things are being released in the spirit maybe that can change and transform things so that we're never the same again for, for a remnant of people. And, you know, um, I've been through a little bit here lately and, 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 and sometimes seemed dark, you know, but in the midst of that, I never lost the awareness of the Lord. I think, you know, kind of what some prophetic people go through sometimes is indicative of where the body of Christ is. I'm not saying that's the case. Uh, my, my diagnosis was that uh, I had an enlarged heart. And, uh, and, and with uh, atrial fibrillation, my heart was beating 140 beats a minute, resting. And when I got up and did something, it would jump up to 180, and then, of course, it caused congestive heart, fail- uh, congestive heart failure. So my lungs were filling up with fluid. But I certainly believe there's something about the rhythm thing that, that is, is indicative. And I do believe the Lord is dealing with the heart of people. I do. I don't think there's any question about that. I read something in a book by Francis Metcalf. Actually, the book was written by James Maloney, but he had in it excerpts from a, from a lady by the name of Frances Metcalf. Who's ever heard of her? Very, a few people. Wonderful. And uh, she was a woman that entered into union. She had so come into oneness with God that she and the Lord became one. Spirit, soul, and body. And I had forgotten this. I had read the, the story of how, uh, you know, she went through this process of union. She, she was very powerfully anointed, and the Lord gave her an option, gave her choice to either live a life of, of profound revelation and intimacy and intercession or a public ministry. But for some reason for her, the two could not be achieved at the same time. And so she chose the profound ministry. She chose the profound place of intimacy with the Lord and gave up her, her call to public ministry. And as a result of that, she entered in this place with God where she had divine encounters daily. And uh, James Maloney, who is here from Texas, tells the story, you know, he, he was there, he met her. In fact, he was pointed out by her to become uh, kind of a, a recipient, if you will, of, of much of the benefit of the prayer of their ministry. And he went to the meetings. And he told, told me out of his own mouth when we were together in, in February that he would go to their prayer meetings and you walk in and, you know, there's some, some, some guys, you know, you know how many people in the room? Maybe 10 or 12 people in the room. They would pray 8 and 10 hours a day, every day, six days a week, every day that they prayed, sometimes all day, sometimes more. He said the room would literally fill with a cloud and you couldn't see the face of the person sitting next to you. Then you, then you begin to see the forms of, of people standing around the room that weren't there before. Then he told about this door that would appear on the side of the room and he noticed that people would go out two by two and come back hours later wearing different clothes. And they were taken to nations. And listen, I don't have even the slightest reservation about that. I don't have even an ounce of doubt that happened, that a spiritual door was open, that they had tapped into the heart of God, and he was, they were forerunning something. They were providing a picture of what will happen in these last days when all the limitations are removed and all the, all the ceilings are lifted and there are no barriers, there's no limitations. And we live under this thing called an unlimited anointing, the spirit without measure. And he does whatever he wants to do. He's God. (laughs) Anyway, don't ever forget it. Don't think that the book of Revelation is about the Antichrist. The book of Revelation is about Christ. We're living in the days of the apocalypse, the days of the unveiling, the disclosure, the manifestation. 
The Antichrist is a wimp. That's right. Compared to the Lord Jesus Christ, he is. He might be big in the eyes of men. I believe he's on the earth. And there will be a man of sin coming forth. He will. But he's nothing more than a pawn in the hand of God. Don't ever forget that. The saints of God are about to rise up, the remnant, the bridal company, the sons of the kingdom. We're about to come forth with something that we've not seen before. Just while we're sitting here, I got an email from a friend of mine from Australia. Thank you, I need some water. By the name of Neville Johnson. And uh, I, had, I had had a dream <laughs> lying in the hospital bed. <laughs> and uh, he, he had called me on June the 22nd of this year. Neville had, had uh, contacted me, called me from, from Australia. He actually sent an email first. We talked later. And he, he told me the story. He said um, at 3, 3 a.m. on June the 22nd, uh, he was... Um, in, in his bed, and he, he was awakened by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit told him, get out of his bed and go down the hall to his study. So he did that. He got out of, out of his bed, walked down to the hall. When he gets to his study, there are three people waiting on him, the Lord Jesus Christ, Moses, and Elijah. Now, you either have to believe this man is a blatant liar or he has a revelation, right? Is that pretty much where we are? are, we, are we, am I speaking to the right? You don't have any problem with that, right? We don't have any problem with that. If the Lord Jesus Christ wants to pull back the veil and, and so a man, whoever happens to be there, then he has the right to do so. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. If, if those two witnesses can appear to the Lord Jesus in the Mount of Transfiguration, he can, they can appear whenever he wants them to appear. If we are right now in this room as we are, surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, and, and what if the Lord Jesus Christ just decided to take, take you and, and pull back the curtain just a little bit? They're here right here already, right? <clears throat> The only thing that separates them is the veil of the Spirit. That's all, that's all that separates what's in this room from you seeing everything that's here. Would everyone agree with that? They're right, they're right here. And all that has to happen is a little veil, a little touch from the Holy Spirit, a little anointing oil poured upon your eyes, and all of a sudden the curtain is pulled back. I have had that happen numerous times. I've, I've seen that happen where there's just a, it pulls back like a curtain, and whatever's there, you see it. And just, he gives you a little peek just to let you know that a lot more is going on than we know. So don't, don't get nervous when we begin to talk about supernatural encounters. You know, if, if you're going to be a part of what we're going to prophesy about tonight, if you're going to be a part of this last day army, you need to understand that we're living in a supernatural dimension. We will not achieve our mandate apart from the supernatural realm. So when he gets ready to send a messenger, he can send whatever messenger he chooses. He's God. He has that right to do so. Amen? You might say, oh, that's this. or the, No, listen, he's God. He's God. If he, if, he, if he can, if he would not do something you and I could not do, right? And so Moses and Elijah must have been pretty much alive, right? And, and they're, not, they're not dead, they were alive. And he says, those who are in Christ are not dead, they're alive forevermore. So anyway, that little, little advertisement. And so he goes to the end of the, 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 the hall, and there in his study stands the Lord Jesus Christ, Moses, and Elijah. And he said that uh, Elijah began to talk to him about the release in this hour, the hour in which we're living in now, uh, maybe you might say a re-release, maybe a, a, an ex- another installment, maybe a, a progressive unfolding of the spirit and power of Elijah being released into our generation, a prophetic mantle, a mantle that, that will be uh, resting upon those that are the friends of the bridegroom to prepare a body of people called the Bride of Christ, 
a people not unlike John himself. Our mandate right now as we speak is to prepare a body of people for their day of visitation. That's what, that's what this message is about. That's what we did in June. That's what this ministry is about, to simply prepare people for what's coming, to prepare their hearts, to have a sense of expectation, to have a, an, a, an, a sifting, if you will, of anything that stands in the way, but there will, be a body, there will be a body of people prepared for this day of visitation. We will not miss our day. The Lord is not going to go around the mountain one more time. We don't have 40 years. If he has to go out in the streets of, of Dallas and find some, somebody lying in the, in the gutter somewhere, he'll raise them up, and he'll clean them up with his spirit, and he'll anoint them. But my deal is don't look any further than right here. You know, don't, you know, don't, don't pass us by. If we have found favor in your sight, do not pass us by. And so, and so I believe that. I believe that, that, that something is coming this Rosh Hashanah season, the one that we're in right now. Uh, and while, why I'm here is to, to uh, celebrate, if you will, uh, uh, the, the, the release of something prophetic uh, for this next season. I believe that we're in this installment of, of the re-release of the Spirit and Power of Elijah to prepare a body of people and also to be mingled with, not necessarily in the separate group of people, maybe even the same group of people, the spirit that was on Moses, which can be called an apostolic anointing. We're about to enter in a season called apostolic reformation. I brought that message right here in Dallas for the first time um, in Dallas in the year 2000. Uh, I I was given a revelation called apostolic reformation. I had some visions, and I asked the Lord to tell me what was going to be uh, an integral part of this apostolic reformation. And, 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 I can, and not to be detrimental, not to be um, in any way accusing of any other body of people or whatever, but we really haven't seen apostles yet. <clears throat> well, that went over like a lead balloon, didn't it? <clears throat> I'll, get a, I'll get a swallow of water on that one. I know there are some people that have done apostolic things. I know. But I'm telling you that we haven't seen apostles the way we're going to see apostles. Real apostles that are golden vessels, apostles that, that have entered into something. They have had an experiential encounter. They haven't just read something in a book. They haven't filled out some paperwork with an organization. They have had an encounter with God, and they are, they are undone. And so <clears throat> Neville shared that with me on, on June the 22nd, and uh, and just prophesied. He said, something is coming. And I, I believe that is what we are uh, contending for and being positioned for now as we speak. And so I'm lying on this bed, and, uh, and I had a dream that night. And I, and I saw that experience in my dream. I've never been to Neville's house. I've never, you know, I don't know what his hall look like, looks like. But in my, in my mind, I suppose, uh, I had his dream, and I saw him getting out of bed. But instead of it being Neville Johnson, it was someone else that I knew. Uh, a guy named Terry Bennett. You guys ever heard of Terry? It was Terry. But even in my dream, I'm thinking, no, it wasn't Terry. It was Neville. But, in, but it happened this way. You know how it happens in dreams. And Terry had the visitation. And so I just simply wrote to Neville a, a little note and said, you know, Neville, I know you about your visitation, you know, but I had this thing. And, and, and instead of it being uh, you, it was Terry Bennett. And Terry actually called me while I was in the hospital, and I shared it with him. And and so I sent a note to, to Neville, and I just got the res- response while I was sitting here, and I just thought I might kind of build off that. Can I do that? And he, and he said, well, there's a part of it that I didn't tell you. And he said, in that experience, he saw me, Neville saw me, when he, not, he didn't see me. Uh, when I went down there, Moses talked to him about me. I'll just say it. So there, there you have it. There you have it. It's on the table, so it's out there. 
So, you know, he, he wrote me this, he wrote me this email, you know, he, he just nonchalant. He said, you know, Paul, how you doing, Paul, Keith, and Wanda, you know, and he, he says, you know, I'm sorry, we're not going to be able to be together in England. I was supposed to be there in, in September and couldn't go. And, and he said, you know, hope everything's well. And he said, I had this experience. He just kind of real, not, he, he said, I walked down the hall and Elijah talked to me about the, the coming apostolic, I mean, prophetic. Moses talked to me about the coming apostolic. And as they were leaving, Moses turned around and said, oh, by the way, tell Paul Keith. I almost fell out of my chair. I'm like, that would have been a good thing to say here at the very beginning. I, I mean, you know, you've got you to prepare me for that. I'm, I'm just rocking along in this email, you know, and all of a sudden my name appears. And, the, and another name was involved in that, and it's Terry Bennett. So I didn't know that. And so he just wrote me back, and he, and he, and he just said this. He said, that was in it. He said, you didn't know that, so the Lord gave it to you as an affirmation that this is something that he's about to do, that there's about to be this new installment. We're about to see some people emerging. I'm going to prophesy it. And I, I, th- I think right here in Dallas, there's going to be something coming forth. I don't know what I, I'm connected with, Chuck, but I know there's other ministries that are doing the same thing, that, that people, I, I, believe, I believe in Damascus Road experiences. I believe in transformation. I believe, I believe you can have an encounter so real that, that, it, that it marks you for the rest of your life and on into eternity. You know, Saul of Tarsus is one of the most dramatic stories in the entirety of the Bible. The greatest enemy of the church became his greatest adversary, and, and, and I mean, advocate, I should say. And, and not only, it was so profound that literally overnight, he woke up one morning, the enemy of God, and went to bed that night, his greatest apostle. That's how fast these things can happen. That's how fast your life can be transformed. One encounter. Well, I have a word called the dawning of a new day, and it's too long to go into all the details of it, but I had an experience where I had prayed all night, which is not, which is, I don't do. I don't do that. I'm not an all-night prayer. And, and, but for whatever reason, the Lord had me do it, but he empowered me to do it. So I prayed all night, and about daylight, right in the corner of my room, all of a sudden I saw this swirling, and a, and a little window opened, and, a, and lights began to come up and down in my room. And, and, and he began to talk to me about the Mount Sinai experience where Israel was told to sanctify yourself today and tomorrow, for on the third day I'm going to appear. And I really felt like he was speaking about our generation. We're, we're in the third day. We're, we've had, we've in, this, in this season of, of preparation and sanctification and, and preparation. And, and so the story goes, I'll just kind of give you the nutshell of it without going into all the details. But there are seven scriptures in the Bible that talked about that experience, including Hebrews chapter 12. Seven scriptures define or identify or, or characterize that day when Almighty God came down on Mount Sinai. And probably most of us, have, have you've been like me, uh, you just assumed that God just opened the heavens and came down on top of the mountain. But that's not how it happened. The Bible is, is clear. You put all the scriptures together, and here's the picture of what happened that morning. You have, you have Mount Sinai here, and you have another mountain across over here called Mount Seir, or Mount Edom, which was identified with Esau. And in between the two mountains, you had a wilderness, and it was called the Wilderness of Paran. And so they woke up that morning on the third day, and I suppose maybe they thought to themselves, you know, the Lord said he's going to appear to us, but you know what? We've seen the Lord. They, they were already seeing the Lord daily, were they not? Weren't they being led by day as a cloud, by night as a pillar of fire? Hadn't they seen the Lord part the Red Sea? Hadn't they seen him destroy the Egyptian army? They had seen some stuff. They had been pretty impressed with God, I'm sure. And so when Moses said, today and tomorrow, prepare yourself because on the third day, the Lord's going to appear, maybe they were thinking, well, we, we've seen him. They got a little familiar with God, maybe. Maybe they weren't quite as anticipating what happened on that day, but here's what happened according to the Bible. They woke up that morning, and God did not come down on Mount Sinai. He came down on Mount Seir. 
Almighty God came down, but not in any ordinary way. The sun rose in the east, but over here was something else that looked like the sun, a big ball of fire with lightning flashing from it, coals of fire shooting forth from it, lightnings and rumblings and myriads of angels as God, it says in the book of Judges, marched across the wilderness. That's the word. He marched across the wilderness. And the Bible says the heavens began to give forth their dew, and the, and the, and the earth rocked and rumbled, and a trumpet began to blast. So great was the sound of the blast that even Moses was terrified as Almighty God marched across the wilderness with lightnings and fires and coals of fire shooting forth all over the place and the earth shaking and rumbling and the heavens dripping water as God came up on Mount Sinai. And in my vision, he said, I bet they weren't expecting that. And the Lord told me in my encounter, he said, I'm about to impress my people. That encounter was intended to impress Israel. To impress, why? Because they had some giants to slay. They were about to come to Kadesh Barnea. They were about to come to the bank of the Jordan. And on the other side of the Jordan was their promise. And they, and they needed to be impressed by God because they were about to go over and see some things. They were about to see giants in the land. And they had this mentality that they were like grasshoppers. But God was, was trying to get this idea across that he laughed at his enemies. He howls in laughter at the ideas of men that think they can rise up against Almighty God. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine us living for 1,000 years in a millennial reign where Almighty God sits on, on his throne in Jerusalem with you and I sitting on the throne with him, those that overcome, those that overcome and participate in this great privilege that rule and reign on the earth will sit on a throne with him as he's literally, physically, real in a very tangible way, in a physical form, sits on his throne and rules planet earth for 1,000 years. And yet at the end of the day, at the end of 1,000 years, Satan is turned loose and still deceives nations. Someone explain that one to me. How is that going to happen? I don't know, but it's going to. That's what the Bible says. But I'm telling you that we're, we're not unlike those in that generation, the Lord wants to impress some of us. He, he may scare the socks right off of you, but I, just, just let him do it. Just let him, no, I mean that. I, he, he came in my bedroom as a captain of host one day. I, I mean, I screamed like you've never heard a grown man scream. But that's all right. I was impressed. I was impressed. He marked me. And you're going to be marked as well when Almighty God see, reveals himself. Be prepared for it. Invite it. Say, Lord, I want to be impressed. I want you to impress me. I want you to be so impressive to me that my enemies seem like grasshoppers. That, I, that whatever is standing against my destiny, that I won't have even the slightest reservation that you will defeat it. We need to have a really big God and a little bitty enemy. That's why I can say to you that the Antichrist is a wimp compared to God. He's nothing but a pawn. Don't ever think that all this hype that we hear on television about the Antichrist, listen, he, he is a man, he's a man of sin. You want to know what Antichrist looks like? Look at Judas Iscariot. He was a type of, of the spirit of Antichrist in human form. He's not an Islamic. He's, a, he's, going to, he's going to convey himself, portray himself as a Christian. He's going to, Jesus said that he, he would deceive the very elect if possible. Think about that. No Bible reader is deceived by Islam. I know you've been hearing that on television and all that, but listen, the, Islam has its place in prophetic scripture, no doubt about it. The nations will surround Jerusalem. But just before that happens, just before the Lord comes to, to this earth and slays those nations with the breath of his mouth, he's going to unleash a spirit of revival on planet earth 
and millions of Muslims will accept Christ. Millions will happen. It will happen. You can mark it down. It's going to happen. Where, how, who's it going to happen through? Apostles and prophets that have the heart of God for this generation. That's who it's going to happen through. Apostles and prophets that have set up the government of God in exactly the way that it's supposed to be. Apostles and prophets that are not ashamed of the Word of God. Not ashamed to tell the truth no matter how much it goes against the traditional order of the day. That's what the Lord told me in 2000, that the Apostolic Reformation will be a restoration of truth on a level that we've never seen before. And he showed me, he showed me just the simple thing of communion, how we had lost the power of communion. We've been prophesying that there are going to be people that'll live without sickness, that'll die without being ill, or maybe even live until the Lord returns. How's that going to happen? Because the re- there will be a rest- reinstitution of the power of communion. We don't believe, that, we don't dream, believe in trans- transubstantiation. We don't believe that, that it becomes the literal body of Christ. That's a, that's a foolish Catholic doctrine. But the Protestants have gone the other way, and we made it simply a memorial with no real power, no real virtue. My daughter and I had it this morning. I saw in my vision where when we begin to celebrate communion with a revelation, with a revelation, with a real revelation, when you have authority in your life, when your words have power, you're going to take that piece of bread that never becomes anything more than a piece of bread. But the Bible says he took the bread and he blessed it. And in my experience, I saw a blessing coming out of our mouth. And when I take the bread and I blessed it, Yes, we remember the body that went in the grave, yes, but we remember more the body that came out of the grave. Listen, we want to leave him on the cross. He's not on the cross. He's not even a manger. He's not in the grave. He's on his throne. And so we remember the body that came out of the grave with resurrection power, with resurrection life, right? He is the resurrection and the life. And so when I bless it with a revelation, when you've got a revelation of who he is and who, who you are in him, you bless that piece of bread, and I saw what looked like the anointing coming out of my mouth, and that little piece of bread captured the anointing. At the same time, I saw Acts 19, where the aprons were put, were put upon Paul, and I saw that that piece of cloth never became anything more than a piece of cloth, but somehow that piece of cloth captured the anointing. In my vision, I saw little particles of glory attaching itself to the threads. And when, I, when the apron was laid upon a person, the apron was there, but the glory released itself and went into their body, and demons were cast out, and people were healed. The same is true when you bless that piece of bread, it captures the anointing. And when you take that bread into your body, it releases life. When you drink the cup with a Zoe kind of life, the blood, life is in the blood, right? And listen, he didn't have the blood of a man. His blood was the blood of God. He, had, he was born by the union of a man and a woman, God just put inside of Mary a, a, a fetus with the blood of God in it. The blood that he shed was not the blood of a human being. So when we remember the covenant, we're remembering the blood, the Zoe life that is in, that is in God. And so when we drink the cup, you're, you're quickening your mortal body. You're quickening every part of your faculties. And when that revelation comes, you'll see a lot of people living in divine health. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. You know what? We can't be ashamed of the, uh, of the gospel. We can't be ashamed of, uh, of what the Bible says. You know, the Lord's told me recently, he said, don't be ashamed of baptizing the way you're supposed to baptize. You know, haven't we seen so many, uh, you know, we've, we've restored sonship, the message of sonship. Wouldn't you agree? We can preach sonship now. You know, when I was, when I kind of got, got involved in this in 1989, I didn't, I was not churched. So I didn't know about all the excesses, you know. I didn't know there had been kingdom now 
this, and there have been sons of God that, and all the, the excesses, you know. Are you guys, are you, are you tracking with me? Do you realize that a generation ago, people took the doctrine of the manifested sons and went beyond the boundaries of Scripture, right? So are we going to just throw out the manifested sons now, or are we going to bring it back within the boundaries of the Word? Of course, we're going to bring it back within the boundaries of the Word. That's the right answer. <laughs> I want a trick question. And so, so we're preaching that. People preach it now. And, 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 but I didn't know that back in 1980. went to Morningstar in 94, and I started talking about the manifested sons. And, and oh, Lord, have mercy. I had, I had to do a quick study on, on the doctrines of the manifested sons, you know, and how they went in excess. Because, oh, my God, you're preaching about the man. That is heresy. I thought, really? I read it in Romans 8. That's how simple my mind was. Then I said, well, you know what? I got them. Because I found it over in Matthew 13, too, <laughs> where he has sown, sown into this earth wheat, and he calls them sons of the kingdom. And I haven't anybody argued with that one. So, you know, here we go. We're, we're, we're preaching the sons of the kingdom. But just a, just a doctrine that we've got to restore back to the church, that it's important to God. Uh, and, and that is baptism. Baptism. You know, it dawned on me one day, you know, Peter either had a revelation on the day of Pentecost or he blew it. Jesus said, go, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? Ten days later, the Holy Spirit falls, and Peter stands up and says, repent, each one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever noticed that? It's really quiet now. So I thought, well, maybe he just missed it. But then I look over in Acts chapter 8. Philip went down to Samaria, had a massive revival, and every one of them were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And Peter came and laid hands on them, and they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 10, the Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius, and they are, they are ordered to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul, in Acts 19, comes across a group of people, and he said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? They said, we don't even know there was a Holy Spirit. He said, how were you, how were you baptized? So how, our, how we're baptized have something to do with how we get the Holy Spirit. Apparently Paul thought so. So how were you baptized? Oh, we were baptized in John's baptism. He said, no, that's not the one. You've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they were rebaptized and received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul said over in, in, in John chapter, I mean, Romans chapter 6, it's really quiet now. I'm going to bring this around. In Romans chapter, you know, are we going to be biblical or not? Are we going to be biblical or not? Are we going to be apostolic? Are we going to be part of the apostolic reformation or not? He says, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? In other words, the idea is there is a name that has been given above all names. Jesus Christ was the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form, was he not? So there was a revelation there. Peter did not blow it on the day of Pentecost. He knew there was a name that had been given to represent the fullness of the Godhead. It wasn't until about the 4th or 5th century that they began to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit as a Catholic doctrine. Did you realize that? So you might say, how do you baptize? Here's my, we just did one in the, you know, in the Gulf of Mexico. I, I wasn't, I, anyway, we did one in the Gulf of Mexico. And I, this is the way I baptize. According to the Great Commission to go into to the nations, making disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
receive, and they come as they come out of the water, receive the Holy Spirit. You watch how many times they won't prophesy. We need to be properly apostolic. Do you agree with that? You might say, my denomination doesn't do it that way. They need to change it. I'm not going to be, we're not going to be ashamed of the Word of God anymore. We're not. Listen, it's too late. It's too late for that. God has said it's important to Him. If it's done that way in the apostolic movement of the first century church, if we're going to have the spirit and power of Elijah that turns the hearts of, these, of the children of this generation back to the faith of our, our apostolic fathers, then we need to do it the way our apostolic fathers did it. And everything is important, every jot and every tittle. I know there are excesses on every corner. I know that. But we're not going to be excessive. We're going to be the Word of God, right? That's on me. If, if house of, don't, don't blame this on them, okay? If y'all don't agree with that, that was Paul Keith. That was free of charge. And so, that, you know, but it's the Bible, right? If you're going to argue that, argue with those five scriptures I just gave you. The idea is that we are identified with Christ. You're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Does anybody cast out a devil? Come out in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Be healed in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. No, there's a name into which we are identified. And so we're identified, it says, Paul says. We are brought into that name. You're baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ. So therefore, you're identified with his death. And if you're identified with his death, you're also identified with his resurrection. That's what it says right here. Romans chapter 6, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus. I'm baptized in him. I'm a part of him. I'm identified with him. Have been baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. I don't be a revelation for a lot of people. We'll be having a baptism after the service tonight. I was in an Assembly of God church. We taught that, and we had a baptism the next day. Assembly of God church. Baptized the whole staff and about, what, 30 people or so, including Jason. He came out like Wolverine. <laughs> you remember the scene where, they, where Wolverine's in the water and he comes out, you know? He came out of the water and half the water came out with him. <laughs> He got the Holy Ghost. <laughs> so I got this from to Neville. I, I, I'm not going to be able to do Daniel 9 now, but let me, let me just kind of, can I read something to you? I, I, we did a conference. I've done a conference in Tucson, Arizona, every year for the last five years. And, and the idea was to recapture some things that were there. I've always said there's unfinished business from, from the prior revival. I prophesied that to John Kilpatrick, who, who um, did Brownsville. You know, John was the pastor of the Brownsville Assembly of God Church. And Brownsville had a, had a massive revival in 1995. Do you remember that? We, we actually prophesied in 1994. We didn't say Brownsville. We just said Pensacola. And, and the revival was to come in three installments, a repentance, righteousness, and power evangelism. This is a true story. When I, when I first met Bob Jones, very first met him, I didn't, you know, I had our, we went to dinner. We met Bobby Connor and his wife, one night, met Bob the same, same weekend. We all went to dinner, and, and, and he's sitting across the table from me, and I thought, this is the strangest man I've ever met in my life. Have you ever seen Bob? Have you ever seen Bob? He just, he's just an unusual man. He is. Just everything about him is unusual. His appearance, his style, his, he talks like he's in the heavens all the time and all that. So what was weird is I understood him. That was, that's what you know, people, people would say, what in the heck is he saying? I said, man, I get it. So anyway, he was sitting across from me. I'll tell you this story. 
I lighten it up a little bit, but he's sitting across from the store, and we were in this, one of these Texas uh, re- restaurants where you can eat peanuts and throw them on the floor. Oh, that was so liberating. Was, I mean, I, I loved it. That's the first time I've been to one of those, you know? And, and so my poor little wife, she couldn't do it. She had hers all piled up right on the side, on the, on the table. She just, she just, she's so neat. She had her, she had her nice little pile, you know, and, and so anyway, I threw mine on the floor. I, I was free. And so, <laughs> so Bobby's sitting across the table from me and, and, and he kept looking at me and I, and he, I didn't, nobody said, thus saith the Lord or anything like that, but I'm beginning, he's, he's saying things about the Lord to me and he's looking right at me. And he said, you know what? He said, he said, it's a sin to live below God's best. He said, there's no, he said, you can't live in this pseudo humility that makes you live below God's best. At the very moment he's saying that, he has a chicken breast in his left hand, literally, and a steak knife in his right hand. One of these big, greasy, st- and, he, and he's pointing that, and this is a true story, I'm not making this up. He's saying, it's a sin to live below God's best, shaking that chicken breast at me. He says, don't you worry about pride. God knows how to bust your bubble. True story. That is a true story. First night, I thought, this man, and if I ever think about pride, I always think about that steak knife, you know. <laughs> but anyway, and so what was I even saying now? Lord, have mercy. So we, we prophesied. So, so what happened was we went to the meeting, and Bob is on the stage. We, we just met. We only knew each other maybe a couple of days, and he's sitting up there in front of maybe six or 700 people in Tyler, Texas, and he says, Paul Keith called me the other day. And he told me that there's about to be a revival in Pensacola, Florida. I'm like, oh, man, he's got me confused with somebody else. And, and, and so I'm up there kind of going, you know. And he said, he called me the other day, and he said, the Lord told him there's about to be a revival in Pensacola, Florida, and it will be, it will be repentance leading into righteousness, leading into power evangelism. And he gave this whole word. He said, in, in fact, Pastor Cho, he, he said, he told me Pastor Cho has a prophecy about Pensacola. And whatever that prophecy is, the Lord said, it's true about that. And I'm up there going, no, it wasn't me. And he gave this whole prophecy. He said, Prayer Mountain is going to be moved to, to Pensacola and, and all of that. And, and after the service, I said, Bob, you know, I'm sorry. You know, we, we got, you got to go back and tell the people that wasn't me. He said, yes, it was you. I said, no, it wasn't me. He said, yes, it was you. I said, Bob, no, it wasn't. <laughs> he said, you called me the other day and told me all that on the phone. I said, Bob, I promise. I would know if I said all that. Then we realized something. He, he, he literally got a phone call that he thought it was me. To this day, he'll tell you I called him. And so we went back, and we, we all had some revelation. We prophesied things about Pensacola. It got derailed. Like so many expressions of revival, it got derailed. And I prophesied to John Kilpatrick when I met him. I said, the Lord is going to do something, and it's got unfinished business with Brownsville. And I prophesied early back in 1994 that what was poured out and Pensacola would move 50 miles west. About two years ago, the Holy Spirit fell in Daphne, Alabama, in John Kilpatrick's meeting. You guys heard about it? They call it the Bay of the Holy Spirit Revival. Someone got in their car and drove from Brownsville to the parking lot of the Daphne Civic Center where that happened, and when they turned into the parking lot, it rolled over to 50 miles. And so it fulfilled the word, and it was, it was unfinished business. The Lord is watching over his word to perform it. And I say all of that to say this, that there are unfin- there's unfinished business with the prior generation. The, the William Branham, the A.A. Allen, the Jack Cole, the Mariah Woodworth Edder uh, outpourings uh, were, were incomplete. They didn't see the fullness of their expression. 
There's unfinished business with them. There's unfinished business with William J. Seymour. There's unfinished business with the Evan Roberts revival. There's unfinished business with the day of Pentecost. There has not yet been any expression or revival that has been brought to the fullness of what it was intended to be. But now we're living in the hour where every expression of revival that has ever seen the planet will come to its fullness. Every revival, everything that is, and God is watching over his word to perform it. Every promise that was ever made to a little praying granny. Everybody that ever fasted and prayed to their teeth began to fall out of their gums and received a promise from God. No, that happened. That happened in the latter rain outpouring. They had read a book called uh, Atomic Power with God through prayer and fasting. And some of those men and women prayed and fasted until their teeth began to come out of their gums. One guy fasted 100 days. Uh, Paul Cain tells a story. He fasted sleep for two weeks. And he didn't know he couldn't do that until somebody said, you can't do that, and had a wreck going home that night. <laughs> Fell asleep at the wheel. Fasted two weeks of sleep. Didn't sleep for two weeks during that outpouring of the Spirit. He told me that out of his own mouth. And so these people fasted and prayed until they got a hold of God. And God said, here's my scepter. What do you want? And they got a promise. And not one of those promises saw the fullness of its expression in, in their generation. So now here we are revisiting all of those promises, and we're about to revisit the spirit and power of Elijah, turning the hearts of this generation back to the faith of our fathers, turning it back to an apostolic purity that we haven't seen in our generation, an apostolic anointing that was based on being a testifier of what you've seen and heard. This is actually going to be my message tomorrow at Chuck's. But the apostles of that day had seen something, and they heard something, and they became apostolic because their commission was to go testify. How do you know Jesus is raised from the dead? Well, I saw him yesterday. How do, I, how do I know you really saw the Lord Jesus Christ? Because I'm going to do what he did when he walked this earth in human form. Come here and let me lay hands on you and open your eyes so you can see. Let me, let me take you by the hand and raise you up and walk because that's what he did. It's proof that he is resurrected from the dead. We're going to do through him what he did when he walked this earth in human form. Therefore, we're going to prove, we're going to testify that he is resurrected from the dead. There hasn't been a witness in our generation on that scale yet. We haven't had that kind of a witness, a testimony, if you will of somebody taking, uh, having had that kind of an encounter, they can say, I can tell you Jesus Christ is raised. I've seen him myself. Some of you in this room probably have. But I want to see him in a way that I, I am so transformed that I can take the lame by the, by the hand and raise them up and, and do the works that he did and even greater works. That's going to happen. So I had written, we had this, this meeting in, in Tucson, Arizona, in the very room where William Branham and, and uh, maybe some of the others, too, had had healing meetings, but in particular, William Branham. That, that one, he just stood out to me, head and shoulders. You might say, well, he did this. Uh, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> I, I've, I've listened to it for 20 years. I know everything he said and, and did, and I know the good, the bad, and the ugly. What I know is this. God was with him. That's what I know. Did he make some mistakes? Of course. <laughs> of course he did. Have people done crazy things in his name? More than we could ever imagine. But was it, at the heart of that, was God in it? You better believe it. Did he have a message for our generation? You better believe it. And so we were in this room, you know, contending, and a man showed up that I didn't know, but turns out that he had been the organist for many of those guys, uh, the organist in many of A.A. Allen's meetings and Jack Coe's and, and William Branham's. And so I, I had him come up. I, I took a little risk because I didn't know him, and you don't normally give the microphone to somebody you don't know, but this one turned out really well, and he, he shared the last conversation he had with William Branham. Would you like for me to read a little of that to you? Because I just sent this to Neville. That's what I was, that's what I was leading up to about a half hour ago. 
that I had sent the, this, this transcript because it was all part of that. I had forgotten about it when Neville and I were on the phone back in August. I had forgotten that, that I had this about what William Branham had prophesied about the coming of the apostles, that there's going to be something happening in our generation. He knew that his generation had missed the mark. He knew that his generation uh, had failed to, to qualify, if you will. They had failed to cross over into the land of promise. Whether the giants scared people back, whether there was greed or, or whatever, I don't. in many of the things that we know about that happened, they, they happened for our admonition so we could learn from them. So I'm going to read a transcript that was taken directly from my meeting that he did. So here, here is this man who had, uh, had, had played the organ for William Branham, and they had just done this meeting, and Brother Branham took him out into the parking lot of the car, and he opens up the trunk of the car to show him his brand-new Winchester rifle. Uh, the, the, the Winchester company knew that he was a hunter, and, and they knew of his, of his ministry, so they had made this 30-30 rifle and uh, had engraved his name on it. So Brother Branham took this man out to the car, opened the trunk, and showed him the rifle. So I'm going to pick up right after he showed him the rifle. Brother Bantam said, you know, he showed him the rifle and all these things. He said, um, Brother Bantam said, uh, let me, I'm picking the right place. So he went to the restaurant. He said, open the trunk of the car. He showed me, he showed me the car. Brother Bantam, uh, Brother Bantam said, I'm about to, he's about to leave you. He said, my days are over. I'm about to leave you. This was 1964. This man said, but Brother Branham, he was sitting there, Brother Branham, you know you're only in your 50s. You've got plenty of time. With the right promotion, you, you could get the biggest crusade, crusades you've ever had. Of course, he repented for saying that. Brother Branham looked at me and smiled and dropped his head. He said, no, son. You see, that's not the way God has planned it. That wasn't what I wanted to hear, this man said. But how do you tell William Branham something you didn't want to hear? He was speaking for God, and I was listening with my old carnal brain. I said, what do you mean, Brother Branham? He said, well, you see, God's through with me. And this man said, I almost fell off my seat. I said, what do you mean about that? You've got plenty of years left. He said, well, my season has come to a close. He went on to explain how he had been part of the great season of healing revivals. He mentioned the voice of healing preachers, many of them. He mentioned A.A. A. Allen and others. He had been in some of my father's meetings. He talks about being in this man's father's meetings. Brother Branham said, I've been in a season where we laid hands on people one at a time, and we saw blind eyes open and cancers disappear and the lame walk, and oh, how it was wonderful. But, he said, I'm about to leave you because God is done with me, but another season is coming, and this season is going to be teaching and revelation of the word of Jesus Christ, who we are in him and who he is in us, not just Jesus hanging on the cross. That's wonderful, he said, but religion will leave him on the cross. Brother Branham went on to emphasize it's about Jesus in us and us in him. And he said, this teaching season will go for a while, and then it will come to a close. And God is going to take every move of God in history, and even what, he, what we witnessed and what we saw in the Bible days, and put it all together in one great Holy Ghost outpouring and drop it on planet Earth and the nations will rock and reel with the power of God like we've never seen before. There'll be so many people, in no auditoriums, no church, no arena will hold the people. No tent, he said. They'll even stand in an open field. It's going to happen in America. Brother Branham said, 
God is going to bring the ministry of the apostles and the prophets to the forefront. Jesus said, I didn't say it, William Brown didn't say it, Jesus said that his church will be founded on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ the head, the fivefold ministry functioning in the body. God's bringing them forth into the forefront. Brother Branham said to me, they will have the mind of God and the heart of God and the voice of God. And when they speak, their words will become the words of God. They won't say what man says. They won't say what denominations say or tradition or any of that. They will speak as of the oracles of God. And they won't just speak about the future. Anybody who reads the Bible can do that. You don't even have to have the Holy Ghost to, to talk about the future. We've got plenty of people running around calling themselves prophets, but simply calling yourself a prophet doesn't necessarily make you a prophet. When this group emerges, they will speak as of the oracles of God, and whatever they say, God will create it because it will be his time, his will and his word. And it won't be about the ministries, it'll be about him. Forging our future from the unseen realm. Wow, when I looked up, there was just a bright light over you. <clears throat> forging our future. I have a message called Forging Our Future. The next outpouring of the Spirit, we've seen it. I've, I've, had, I've had visions of these meetings where, you know, you might have a thousand people on a good night, what do you pray for, three or four hundred? You took them one by, the, one by one. But I've seen where these people that are modern-day 21st century apostles who are sons of the kingdom, a realm will enter the room. A realm of the kingdom will come into the room. And when, when they begin to speak, they'll have the heart of God. And I saw this myself in a, in a, in a vision. All of a sudden, the minister stopped, and he pointed his finger, and he said, Cancer, leave the room. And there was no place for cancer in the room. He said, Heart disease, out of here. And there was no place for heart disease to stay in the room. Every person with heart disease was healed. Every person with cancer was healed. That's better than a prayer line. That's a creative word, the power of the spoken word. That's why Jesus marveled at the centurion when he said, You don't even have to go, just say the word. Just send the word to my servant, and he'll be healed. He said, that was a Gentile. There's a reason why that was made an emphasis, because that's who we are going to be at this last Gentile outpouring of the Spirit, when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. God has hardened the hearts of his Jewish brethren. He's hardened their hearts, and he's blinded their eyes until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. And one day, that last Gentile is going to say yes to the Lord. One day, the fullness of our mandate on earth, not just a numerical number of people, but it's also the fullness of what we're called to be will come in. We'll be everything we were ordained to be, the bride of Christ. You'll be Mrs. Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to begin to write checks on heaven. No, that's right. That's exactly what you're going to be. No, you're going to lose your own identity. You're going to be identified with him. That, that, that is exactly right. That, wasn't, that came out funny, but it wasn't intended to be a joke. You're going to be the bride of Jesus Christ. And, and the bridegroom is going to give the full authority of his name. You realize why you've been through what you've been through? Hopefully you've been so burned out you wouldn't think about doing something for your own selfish gain. You wouldn't think about trying to build your ministry or your kingdom now. Hopefully not. If, if, if so, go back to the altar. <laughs> or go find up yourself in a hospital bed <laughs> like I did or whatever. You know, I'm hoping, I'm hoping this is getting the last shreds of, of me out so that all that's left.
Can you imagine having such a vision of God's heart as you shape the future with your life? Having an authority that can speak what you say begins to happen. It has life, virtue. That's what Zechariah 12, 8 is all about. It says in the last days when Jerusalem is a stumbling stone to the nations of the earth, he said he'll raise up a body of people, the most feeble of which, like David. And they'll be like the house of David. The house of David, it says, will be like God. The least of which in this army will be like David. Feeble, the most weak, will have the heart of David. What about the champion? Then the house of David. The remnant company, those that are identified with the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, they're not identified with a denomination, they're not identified with any group, they're identified with him. Then the house of David will be like I prayed for two weeks before I got an answer on that one. The Lord said, my bride in these last days will be so close to me that when she speaks, it will be as though I spoke. House of David will be like God. That means when you speak, it'll be no different than Jesus Christ Himself standing right here, saying a word. But it's not going to be your heart, it'll be His heart. It will not be your agenda, it'll be His agenda. You're speaking in His stead, in His place. You're, you're His representation. The bride of Christ is, is His representation on the earth, not some guy sitting on a throne in Rome. And those, the Holy Spirit is the representation of God on the earth. Christ in you will be his representation on earth. You understand what I'm saying by that, right? You'll be the, the very nature and the character of God. John G. Lake marveled not that the power came upon him when he finally came into this last phase with him, with God, when he finally died out, you know, after a nine-month season of prayer and fasting. The glory of God came in him and upon him. He said the power, sure, the power went to another level. But that wasn't what he marveled at. He said, now I'm an expression of his radiant glory. He marveled at the change of his character that he experienced when that, when that fourth encounter came. He had already seen miracles on a scale that few have ever seen in our generation. He had already seen the, the cancers wither off and fall off and saw people saved in every meeting. But when that glory, he and the glory became one. He, and the, he had what we call a union experience. When he had that experience, he said, now I am an expression of God. He said, I became a Christ man. That's his language. That's what they had in Acts 11. When they, when they were first called Christians, literally, if you go back and study that, they were called Christ people because they were so much like him, they couldn't distinguish between them and Christ. That's not what it means to be a Christian today. Today, you know, I don't even like the idea of I don't even like it. I don't. I've got to be honest. I'd rather be called a believer than a Christian because, you know, I mean, I was at APAC and, 11,000 Jewish people and 175 Christians. And I was, someone paid my way to, to reaching out to the Christian community. I'm there, and a Jewish man turned around to me, and he said, are you Jewish? And I said, no. I started to quote to him Romans 2.29, but I didn't. He is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the Spirit. But I started to say yes, but I didn't. I said, no, I'm not, because I knew what he meant. And he, and he said, well, why are you here? And I said, well, you know. We love what God loves, and God loves Israel, so we love Israel. And he said, oh, so you're a Christian. He, no, he said, oh, so you're, you're Catholic. And I said, I'm the most un-Catholic person you'll ever meet in your life. 
He said, oh, then that means you're evangelical. I said, well, that's second on my list. <laughs> he said, well, what are you? He said, I'm a, I said, just right as soon as he said, I'm a believer. I said, that was the, what came out of my mouth, I'm a believer. I'd rather be identified as a believer than some term that has a whole different set of definitions now than it did in Acts 11 when that, when that term was, was used to identify an apostolic community that was so sold out, so emptied of themselves, that all that was left was God in them. So our apostolic reformation is going to be the same thing. A remnant company of people that don't even have their own identity anymore. Oh, you'll have your shell of a person on the outside, but on the inside you won't. You're going to be, you're going to be baptized into him, and you'll be baptized into his death, but also resurrected with newness of life. That's what this apostolic reformation is all about. There's going to be a, a prophetic mantle coming that, that will redefine what we have called prophetic. We know that. We all know. And I know, listen, don't misunderstand me. I, we've, I've got friends, and I, I'm called prophetic. You know, I sometimes don't even like to be called prophetic. I've been called a prophet. I don't even like being called that because I know that what we're doing is so minuscule in comparison to what a real prophet does. When we're telling tomorrow's headlines on a daily basis, then maybe you can call some people prophets. And, and this idea of being 80-20, 50-50, listen, I don't want a prophecy that's 50-50 to you. I want somebody that can get a hold of God. Give me a word from the Lord. <laughs> That's what those prophets were in the Old Testament. That's what the, if they can do that in the Old Testament, in a covenant sealed with the blood of bulls and goats, if they can go to Samuel and get a word from the Lord that is right, then why can't we have words that are right? Why don't, where, are our, where are our judges? Where are our apostles that can judge between right and wrong? We don't need to go to a court. Go to your apostle, and he'll see by the Spirit what is right and what is wrong and judge rightly. Aren't we going to judge the angels? How can we judge angels if we can't even judge the affairs of men? We'd rather run to the courthouse and have some un, unrighteous judge judge the affairs of Christians when we're supposed to be the judges. We're supposed to have a spirit of revelation. We, don't, you know, we, ought, to, we ought to know who the mother is. Solomon knew who the mother was. He just had to prove it to everybody else. We'll get that one tomorrow. It wasn't like he was up there wondering, oh, my gosh, is, is this, am I going to have to see a baby? No, he knew exactly who the mother was before we ever did it. He had a hearing heart. That means he had a perpetual ability to hear from God, ongoing, daily. He didn't have this wonderful brain. He might have had a good brain, but no brain is that good. He was plugged into heaven under an old covenant sealed with the blood of bulls and goats. If the glory that came with the law in Moses was so great that a veil had to be put over the face of Moses, what about the glory that comes with it? He's trying to light us up. He's trying to illuminate us. The realm of glory. It's already 9 o'clock. I've already been an hour. It's hard to believe I've been up an hour, isn't it? Didn't feel that way. My last sermon I did, I, I thought they had put me on fast forward. Because my, I was just talking about something. I couldn't, and I, I, I'm going to get them to take it off. But I realized what was going on. My mouth was keeping up with my heartbeat. That's what was going on. I was, my heart was beating 180. And I listened to it the other day, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, get that off the Internet. That is t- I, said, I told them, I said, did y'all put me on fast forward? They said, no, that's the way you were talking. I thought, Lord, help us. You know, if you, if you happen to listen to it, I, I promise it's not a defect in the tape. It was a defect in me. I was just talking so fast. This is so much better, isn't it? It's so, <laughs> you know. My wife made me promise not to do ministry, but I see some ministry already out there. 
But I'm going to pray this. I'm just going to pray that this house would begin to produce true prophets, true apostles. That something will be deposited here that, that, that is unique. Wouldn't that be just wonderful to have places where no agendas of men, no desires of anybody's human heart? I believe that's going to happen. William Branham ministered in an anointing, I believe, that was typical of what's coming. And he would stand there, he would wait for, for something. We have this video of him in Washington in 1955 where he preached this very simple sermon. And, he started, and, and there was time for the ministry. Even the sick people were already standing there waiting to be ministered to. And he started talking about demons being cast out, eagle stories, and and finally, the people caught on. He says, you know I'm waiting on something, don't you? I'm waiting on him. So he kept talking away, you know, and finally he said, he's here. He's here. Holy Spirit, he's here. Well, I take every spirit in this room under my authority in the name of Jesus. I heard that in 1990. I thought, I've never heard that in my bed before. He said, I apply the bloodline of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder, why did he do that? Because... Early on, he found out he was casting the same demon out of people three and four times a night. Someone would come up, he'd cast the devil out of them. That devil would go into somebody else in the, in the audience. He'd come up and cast it out again. He went to the Lord and said, Lord, how can I, how can I just can't deal with that demon once a night? And he said, surround the place with the bloodline of Jesus Christ. When the spirit went out, it had no place to come back in. I told that story to, to a lady in California, a minister who deals with demons quite a bit. A demonized woman came to her church, and she recognized it. So while the service was going on, she noticed that the woman with demons, the witch actually, walked out into the parking lot. So this lady walked out in the parking lot, and, and, the, and the witch was maybe 30 yards away from her, but she's just standing there. And she said, I whispered. Do you remember what I said? And she said, I whispered, Lord, I apply the bloodline of Jesus. So she turned her back, you know, like this. She didn't realize the witch had walked back up and stopped right there. The witch said, well, I guess you know you've got to go get my purse now. She wouldn't cross the bloodline. And she stood right there, would not cross that spot until she went in and got the purse and brought it back out. But he said, he's here. He's here. The Holy Spirit is here. I take every spirit in this room, the authority of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. A woman comes up, and he said, begins to talk to her. And he, and he said, now, look this way. Look this way. I'm trying to contact your spirit. What is that? I heard that and I thought, I've never heard that in my Baptist church either. And he said, look this way. Okay, he said, now I see that you're sick. I said, yes. And she said, he said, you were in a car wreck. I said, yes. You have an injury to your neck. She said, yes. You were thrown out of the car to screen of the gorder. And she said, yes. He said, all those things true. She said, every word's true. He said, wait just a minute. I see another vision. He said, I see that your daughter wrote you a letter. You were going to go to another city because you heard that I was going to be there, but your daughter said that I was going to be here, so because of that letter, you came here to this meeting. Is that right? She said, every word is true. He said, go on your way. You're healed. The next way he walks up, he says, look this way. and Contact your spirit. He said, you're sick. He said, you're shadowed with death. She said, yes. He said, you have cancer, and it's in your breast. And she said, yes. And you have a rupture condition. He, she said, yes. And 
In fact, your bowels are ruptured. And I was like, come on, Brother Brown, give her a break. You know, you don't have to tell everything. <laughs> you know? And she said, yes. And he said, I saw you, I see you sitting on the side of your bed just the other day, and you went to get up, and you were faint and almost passed out. Is that right? She said, yes, it's all true. I said, wait just a minute. I said, you're still shattered with death. Oh, I see. Your name is Eva, and your last name is York, and you live at 616 6th Street. She said, yes, yes. Go on your way, would you? That's a prophet. That's the standard. That's the bar. Until we're doing that, we can't call ourselves being prophetic, really. We're doing our best. I know that. We're all doing it. I got no ministry friends, and they're doing, they love the Lord with all their heart, and they're doing the very best they can. We do, and we're doing our best to help people. But in my heart of hearts, that's the bar. That's the standard. What I know about God is he's ever progressive. What I know about God is we're not about, listen, don't, don't buy into the lie that we're about to have an apostasy. Don't buy into the lie there's going to be a great falling away of the faith, not of this remnant company. There might be one out there, but it's not one in here. Listen, we're, we're in a mode of progressive restoration. Don't ever live with fear. Oh, my God, oh, my God, we're going to have an apostasy. Everybody's going to turn away from God. No, 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 no. Don't, don't, that's not going to happen. There's an army out there that would give their life. We're in a season of progressive restoration, progressive revelation. The best days are not behind us. The best days are in front. An unprecedented outpouring of the Holy Spirit is imminent. It's on the horizon. And it's going to make everything you've been through worth it. You're going to look at that and say, that was nothing in comparison to the glory that's about to be revealed. That's over in Romans chapter 8 somewhere. That these sufferings, how does it go, seem minor in comparison to the glory that's going to be revealed. That's a fact. You, you hold on, you're going to see that. And I believe this fall, we're going to see something coming forth in the area of the apostles and prophets that we haven't seen before. And I appreciate what has been brought in prior years to restore what we do have about apostles. I appreciate what's been brought. But I want you to know something. That whole thing is about to be redefined. And it's going to be redefined experientially. It's going to be exactly what we saw in the, book, in the Bible. So hold on. Hold on a little bit longer. It's, it's, on, the, it's on the horizon. There's not going to be a falling away, not, in the, not of the bride of Christ. It's going to be ever-increasing. You know, we're not going to live in fear. You know, God is not going to turn his back on Israel. I know some people may have prophesied that recently. Listen, God, the Bible says, this is thus saith the Lord of the Bible, that once he's restored in that land, he said, I'll never leave you. You know, can a firstborn forget her child? Listen, don't think for a minute he's going to abandon Israel. That little wimp over in Iran, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? He'll do nothing more than what God allowed. He does try to shoot a missile that may be to their own demise. But God will supernaturally defend Israel. Don't ever forget about it. Don't ever forget God will defend Israel. He restored them and his hand will be on them. Our job is to pray for them until their eyes are opened. There will be a massive outpouring of the Spirit among the Gentiles. The fullness of the Gentiles must come in. But when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, the, the, the Spirit is going back to the Jews. Israel saved us a day, in a day. There will be a catching away. There will be a catching away, a rapture, if you want to call it that. Uh, and there will be. The bride of Christ is caught away for three and a half years, marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, we're not gone long, though. We're coming right back to planet Earth. Listen, heaven is not your home. This planet is your home. You realize that? 
You know, we want to go to be in heaven, and that's a wonderful thing to be in heaven, but really that's not biblical. You're only there to have, a, have the honeymoon. <laughs> and we come back down here to the earth, and we're here for a thousand years in a glorified body, a resurrected body that does not grow ill, that doesn't know hunger or sickness or, or any such thing, and has no, no ability to sin. Think about that. You're gonna, and you want to be somewhere, you're there with the speed of thought. You're going to receive a resurrected, glorified body just like the one the Lord Jesus Christ has. That's called the resurrection. We talked about it some in, in, in what is it, 1 Thessalonians 4 and, and, other, in, and other passages. There'll be a body of people that are resurrected, if you want to be more precise about it. And we need to teach the resurrection. You know, Paul in, in, involved the resurrection of the dead very integrally in his, in his sermons. They believed in that. That was a very central part of the message of the first century apostolic church. So we better have the resurrection as part of our message as well. That we're not going to live in these bodies. Now, I know that there's some people that teach we're already in the millennium. You realize that? If we're in the millennium, me and God are going to talk. This is not a glorified body. Just so you know. Just so you know. That is not a glorified body. The one I'm getting is going, to be, is going to be in shape. I'm going to be buff. I'm going to eat anything I want and be, still be buff, you know. <laughs> That's true. We're going to rule this planet. Think about that. That's what you're being groomed for. The vision needs to be set so much higher in the church. You know, how can we, how can we judge nations if we can't judge on this earth? How can we judge angels if we, if we can't even judge small, menial affairs of men? I want that to be a challenge to us to become apostolic, begin to, begin to rule the way we're supposed to rule, to rule and have authority like we're supposed to have authority, to live more in the realm of the spirit than we do in the natural. William Branham's son-in-law told me in a phone conversation that the last, uh, last year or so of his life, William Branham was spending 50% of his waking hours in the spirit. 50% of his waking hours would have to pull himself out of the spirit to go function in the earth and went back into the spirit. Frances Metcalf was given free access. She lived the reality of, of Zechariah 3, 7, or 3, 9, 3, 7, 3, 7, which says, if you walk in my ways and perform my service, you'll have charge of my courts and govern my house, and I'll give you free access. Free access. Somebody needs to be contending for that. Who's been contending for that in this room? Give it to her, Lord. Give them free access. If you've had it in your heart, I believe God's He wouldn't let you hunger for it if it wasn't out there to give it to you. Deep calleth to the deep at the sound of the waterfall. If you're hungry for something, you wouldn't hunger for it if it wasn't out there. That is a spiritual principle. If you ever crave, you ever craved an orange? Who's ever just woke up one morning and said, Oh, I gotta have an orange? Am I the only one? All right, banana. Okay. If you woke up craving a banana, there's gotta be a banana out there, or you would or you wouldn't crave it. You would never crave something that doesn't exist. So if you're hungry to know that realm in God, it's here to give it to you. So, Lord, I bless these people. I thank you for letting them listen to me tonight, Lord. I pray something has been provoked and awakened in us, something real, something tangible. Lord, I just ask again that you open the heavens right here in this house, that angels would ascend and descend. This would be none other than the house of God, the very gate of heaven, that you would truly according to their name, bring forth the capstone ministry right here. Those sons and daughters that have the nature and character of Christ and also his power, the unlimited anointing, those that live without limitation, without barrier, without ceiling. God grant that, I pray.
I pray, Lord, that you deposit here a hunger for the revelation of the word that is unparalleled, a desire for the literal fulfillment of the word they have never seen before, that we would not compromise the word, that we would not in any way water down the word or allow tradition to influence the word, but that there will be a plumb line. These seven will rejoice when they see the hands and the plumb line in the hands of Zerubbabel. Plumb line truth, a plumb line message, a plumb line revelation of Jesus Christ. We're living in the hour of the apocalypse. Let that apocalypse happen right here. Let there be an unveiling, a disclosure, a manifestation of the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, it'd be okay with me if you did it tonight. <laughs> you would just do it right now. Just manifest yourself in a very real way. 